Right now we're in a series in the book of Psalms, and we've been slowly walking through the Psalms, but I want to take your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 8 to begin today. Because in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means second law, and it's Moses repeating the law of God before the people of Israel are going to go into the land of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 to 14, Moses gives this warning. This is what he says. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I was thinking of Moses' warning to the people here, because this is something that is not just something that Moses warned the people of Israel about thousands of years ago, but it's the kind of thing that we see in our own lives, right? Like when everything in your life, when maybe a better way to put it is when everything seems to be falling apart, you're in the hospital, you've been in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, visiting a loved one, caring for a loved one, when you're walking through a low period, when when you have nothing, that that's the moment that prayer seems to come naturally. A crying out to God, God, I have nothing else. I have nowhere else to turn. What am I going to do? God, I don't know how to pay these bills. God, I don't know what this is going to turn out like. God, I don't have the strength to walk down this road. And yet, if when we get to those points where the bills are paid, and everything does seem to be going okay. There's no major medical crisis. There's no major despair or depression that we're dealing with. We know what it's like to walk through life go where it's going well. And those are the points where we don't wake up morning after morning crying out to God to help us get out of bed, to help, help us put one foot in front of the other. Like We know what this warning is like because it's the kind of thing that we need. Not just, well, I heard Jared Wilson say, that it's, it's those of us who our entire lives are going well. He was specifically saying it's teenagers whose lives are going well that are complaining about the speed of their phone. But it's those that are walking through the valley of cancer that are like finding and posting and sharing encouragement from Scripture because that's all they have. That, it's not just, well, some people out there. It's, that's you and I. You and I have this tendency to like cry out to God when there's nothing else nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. And yet, when life is good, we forget God. So today, as we turn to Psalm chapter 18, the question that we have is, what fuels worship and love for God when life is good? If we have this tendency to forget God and to turn away from Him, we know what it's like to cry out to God in the middle of the night because, we're, because we can't sleep and we're worried and we're in pain. But what fuels love for God and worship for God when life is good? Because that's really the question that David is dealing with in Psalm 18. That's really the, or it's the thing that David is modeling in his own life and that he's inviting Israel into because there will be moments in Israel's life when everything goes good. When they have a good king, when they have enough money coming in, when they have no enemy pressure that's coming to destroy them. There are moments where things are great in Israel's history. 
And so David writes Psalm 18. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 19 to, to see what is it that fuels our worship and love for God when life is good. Psalm chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 3. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to hear what you have to say to us so that we do not forget you and so that those wide places and those good places in which we walk end up being an invitation and a fuel for us to love you more and to worship you more. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, uh, this psalm is this call to you and I to fuel our worship in three ways. I want to show you the three ways this passage calls us to fuel worship when life is going well. Specifically, verses 3 to 6 teach us, remind yourself of answered prayers to fuel worship. Remind yourself of answered prayers to fuel your worship. Notice verses 3 to 6 is this David celebrating. The beginning of Psalm 18 that we looked at last week explains that David wrote this after years, probably 30 years or so, of being on the run. He'd been anointed, he'd defeated Goliath, and then he'd been on the run. So finally, God's delivered from his enemies, and this is, this is where David picks up in verse 3. I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David is reminding himself that God has answered my prayers. He kind of briefly sketches out the situation as if he is caught in the water, soon going to drown, wrapped in cords of the grave. I imagine it ropes or, or seaweed is this kind of picture that he's going down and he is not going to get out of this. And so David is reminding himself, 
God has answered my prayers before. Like David is coming into a wide place where God has delivered himself, delivered him from his enemies. And then David says, it wasn't always been like this. I remember those nights where I thought I was going to drown. I remember those days that I thought I have got to be on the run and it is always going to be like this. David is like, I remember when I was insulted. And I, I remember those days where we didn't have enough food. And so David is spending his time reminding himself of answered prayer. But this is not just an invitation or David recounting this. And we're supposed to go, okay, that's nice. David is giving this to Israel because there will come a day when Israel has been delivered from its enemies. And they will be tempted to forget God. And he's saying, Israel, remember the times that God has answered your prayers. Remember those sleepless nights. Remember those days where you're like, I can't go on. Don't just brush them off. Don't just breeze past those moments. I was talking to somebody earlier about, I still remember, and sometimes I lay in bed at night and remind myself, remember when I used to work overnight and I was miserable? I'd get maybe two and a half, three hours of sleep before work. I'd work overnight and then I'd get two to three hours of sleep again uh, after work in the morning. And so for months, if not years after that, I would lay in bed and go, I can't believe I am right here sleeping, about to go to sleep in my bed instead of starting my night's work, stocking grocery shelves for the next eight hours. I remember and remind myself sleeping in a bed at night is a is not something to be taken for granted. David is inviting Israel to do that kind of thing and remind himself, oh, it hasn't always been like this. Israel, remind yourself, you used to be enslaved in Egypt. Remind yourself that you used to be under attack. Remind yourself, you used to have, someday Israel's going to have to say, you know what, remember, we used to have godless kings who killed their own children in sacrifice to false gods. Remember, like we didn't always have it this way. David is saying, remind yourself, Israel, that it hasn't been always this way. But then that becomes an invitation to you and I to begin to remind ourselves, it hasn't always been like this. And so the fact that right now I am still here and I am standing here is a a reminder that God has answered those prayers from sleepless nights and from hard days. It is an invitation to you and I to begin to pray that way. You see, these psalms are using the images, the cords of death entangling me, but being delivered from using these to try and get the psalm to go from our our feelings to our head and to our, our heart. To begin to go, God, I love you because you have answered my prayers. That's what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 7 when, when Samuel, after a battle, raises up a stone. They call it Ebenezer, which is a, 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 sto- a, a stone to remind them of God's deliverance. It's what we see in Joshua chapter 4 when Joshua says, take, some, take a stone from the river and we're going to make a pillar so that our, your kids one day say, what do these stones mean? And you can say, the Lord delivered us through he, to here. This is something that the life of Israel should, in the life of Israel should be normal, and the life of a Christian should be normal. Where we, when we come into a good place and we're tempted to forget God and be like, okay, my bills are paid, my retirement looks good, my job is okay, my relationships seem to be fine, my health seems to be good, to instead remind ourselves there have been those low moments where I lay in bed in the morning, struggling to get out of bed because of depression and despair. 
We should remind ourselves, there, remember those days where the anxiety was so severe, I couldn't function. But yet the Lord answered my prayer and I'm still here. The Lord answered my prayer and I'm still here. Remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. That's one of the reasons that keeping a note of our prayers, whether it's specific prayers for your family, whether it's prayers for people in our church, keeping a list somewhere of these are some of the things uh, that I am praying for is a good reminder because if you're like me, we just so easily forget that we were praying for these things. And yet sometimes stumbling across that list and go, oh, remember when I was so worried about that? Remember when I called out to God for rescue and for help and he answered that? When you, when you realize, oh, I was remem- remember when I prayed for so-and-so, that thing that was really bothering them, that was really struggling. Maybe it was a job change they were going through. Maybe it was some difficulty in their family. And we come across and go, oh, the Lord answered my prayers for that. that keeping a record of our prayers like that is a, a way that David invites us to fuel worship. So that we're not just left going, well, what are my feelings today? Or do I need God enough that I'm going to pray? But instead, reminding ourselves, oh, what I'm living with right now is something that God did. So the first way this psalm invites us to fuel worship is to remind ourselves of answered prayers. The second way we see in verses 7 to 15 is remind yourself of God's unseen hand to fuel worship. Look at verses 7 to 15. This is a description of what God's answer to prayer in David's life was like. When you read through this, it seems that he he uses these images of a dragon, of a thunderstorm, and a warrior as these images for what God was doing in his life, in rescuing him and delivering him. Look, verse 7, The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of a breath from your nostrils. David is using these images of a dragon or Leviathan, of a thunderstorm and of a warrior to say the story of my life is the story of what God was doing. Alec Motyer describes that God was in anger, in person, and in power, rescuing David. And so he tells the story of his life, not just of, well, I got through this. I did this. This happened to me. But instead, everything that happened has been God's unseen hand at work in my story and in my history. Like if, if you were to read through the book of 1 Samuel, if you were to read through 2 Samuel, you would not necessarily go look at the Lord as a, as a dragon or as a thunderstorm, as a warrior. But David realizes that the ups and downs of his story are actually the ups and downs of God doing something in his life. This is the ups and downs of God's work in history. 
And so David is using these images to get this to into his heart and into his head that this is something not just, oh yeah, I made it through this, but God, you have been at work and it was not an accident and you were near me and you were in anger and in power delivering me time and time again. This is an invitation to you and I to look at the ups and downs of our story, as I mentioned last week, and begin to retell it with the character of God as the main character. You see, we, we so easily tell the stories of our lives. And the, we usually tell the story in a way that we are the hero. That we are the ones who got our way through this. We are the ones who had the strength to get through it. We are the ones who had the endurance. We had the wisdom. You know, we got through this by the skin of our teeth. But David instead goes, the eternal God is the one who is at work in my story. The faithful God is the God who did not forget me. The God who is present everywhere was present with me in the middle. And this is an invitation to you and I to begin to tell the stories of our life through the character of God and say God is the one who has been at work every step of the way in this. The in the big picture story Bible that uh, we re- we've read with our kids and then this summer in Summer Kids Club we used it as a main part of the curriculum that we used. There is a line at the end of the book, and every time we come to it, I love it, and I was thinking of it this week because I think it applies here, because it it tells the story of Israel, and then after Jesus' resurrection, and he tells his disciples the the fact that every every, all the law and the prophets point to him. Uh, David Helm describes it this way, that painted on the pages of Israel's hard and happy history is the big picture of God's forever king. So he, you know, we get to this point and the disciples begin to look back and they begin to look at the Bible and new, with new eyes after they've seen Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then, then this is how he describes it. Painted on the pages of Israel's hard and happy history is the big picture of God's forever king. I love that line, and, but what I want to encourage us to do is to begin to, Psalm 18 invites us to, say, to paint on the pages of our hard and happy history the big picture of God's forever king. And go, oh, the God who, who delivered Noah from the flood is also the God who delivered me from whatever pit of despair or depression or fear that I've dealt with. Whatever grief we have walked through, whatever guilt and shame we walk it's not just the history of our guilt and shame, it's the history of God's forever King who's been faithful to us to deliver us and to deliver us, to demonstrate His love for us. Begin to look at our own history that's, yes, hard and happy, and begin to see God's unseen hand every step of the way. We have to begin to train ourselves to, to look at our stories and see God. I'm reminded, I, f- I feel like we'd been married for just a few years, and I realized that I, I turned everything into a story. And I went, I bet you this is really annoying to her. I can't like tell any, I can't say anything happened to me at work. I can't say I read anything. Everything becomes this dramatic story and I'm the hero of every one of these stories. And I, I saw the look on her face that she remembers this. And I, I just remember very clearly going, this has got to be really annoying to live with a guy that tell, turns everything into a dramatic story that has a climax and he's the hero of it. 
And so I began to very specifically sometimes to go, I'm about to tell a story. Let me just tell her the ending of it so I can just cut myself off so I don't even have the chance to, to go into my, can you believe I rescued it? Uh, can you believe I did this? I was thinking of that story because at that moment in my life, and there's probably still ways I do this, but at, at that moment in my life, everything was a story and every, one, every story had me as the center of it. Psalm 18 is an invitation to you and I to say all of life is a story and it's God's story doing something amazing in it. That's going to be the thing that fuels our worship so we don't forget God. Is when we begin to say, you know what? Things are good, but this wasn't my doing. This was the God who loved me and who promised to never leave me or forsake me. Can you believe he's kept his promises to me? Then he becomes the hero, and that is what fuels our worship. The second way to fuel our worship in this is to remind ourselves of God's unseen hand. And then the third way to fuel our worship from this passage is remind ourselves of the gospel to fuel our worship. You see, look at verses 16 to 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David is focusing his attention, and he's inviting Israel to, to focus their attention on God's deliverance. He's saying, God did this. Look at all these descriptions. God did it. He's the one who reached. He's the one who took hold. He's the one who drew. He's the one who rescued. He's the one who supported. He's the one who brought. David is explaining in like kind of with cloudy words the the rescue. Maybe in some ways he's pointing them back to God's rescue in the book of Exodus. But now with eyes from the New Testament, we look and see that Jesus in the gospel on the cross and in his resurrection reached out and took hold on us. He's the one who drew us out. He's the one who rescued us. He's the one who supported us. He's the one who brought us into God's family. And so David is using Psalm 18 to direct our hearts towards God's worship. And so then we begin to go that our rescue in the gospel is the fuel for our worship. So if if we go, man, what's going to be the thing that's going to cause my heart to hunger for God and to love God and to worship God and to pursue God when life is good? It's going to be reminding ourselves of the gospel. It should not get old. It shouldn't get old. Oh, it's okay. The gospel, the gospel is just for, for, for people that need to get saved. But those of us that are saved, we should just kind of move on from that. David is like, what is it that calls my heart to worship? It's the reminder that I used to be far from God and overwhelmed by my enemies. I used to have no future, and yet God reached out and took hold of me. This should not get old in the life of a believer. Every week when I share the gospel, I do that very specifically because if we have a guest and you bring a loved one, a friend, I want you to know for sure that that your friend will get the chance to hear the gospel. But it's not just for unbelievers. It's also the thing that should have all of us on the edge of our seat going, yes, I used to hate God. I used to rebel against God. I used to want to have nothing to do with him. I was blind and dead in my sin. And yet God reached out and took hold of me. 
This isn't just a message that some unbelievers sometimes need to hear, but it's the message that all of us need to hear if we want our hearts to love God more, if we want to fuel worship in our homes, the things that we need to be speaking about is the gospel. If we want to encourage the worship of our spouse or of a friend, we need to remind them of the gospel. This is the truth. We used to be far from God, and yet God reached out and took hold of us and brought us to life and brought us into his family. It is by grace through faith that we have been saved. And this is a gift of God. A few years ago, a Christian school principal and I were having breakfast. And we were just kind of getting to know each other because he wanted to know the pastors in the area. And he said, and he'd heard my story that I'd become a, I'd become a believer when I was a child. And he said, at the end of the conversation, he goes, so maybe you can help me. He goes, what do you say to kids that have grown up in a, a Christian family, going to church and a, and a Christian school, who, don't, who feel ashamed of their testimony? That's what he said. He said, what do, you, what do you say to a kid who goes, they go off to a concert, they go off to a conference, they go off to a camp, and they hear about a guy who like knifed somebody else in the stomach and watched the guy's guts poured out on the all on the, uh, on the ground, and then he goes to prison, and then he meets Jesus, and then now he's walking and telling the story of God's grace. He goes, they, they go and they hear about people that have been addicted to drugs, and they've done all sorts of things, and then they go, I heard the gospel when I was a kid in my church. I go to a Christian school, and he said, the, my, the kids in my school are often ashamed of their story. And the, so what do you say to somebody like you who's in that kind of a scenario? And I, I told him, I was like, I was like, I actually think both, the kids are misunderstanding something and the people who tell their testimony as if like being a part of the mafia is like the cool part of their testimony. I said, both groups, I think I misunderstand something. I said, those that think that being drug addicted, they, uh, addicted to all sorts of things, that have committed all sorts of crimes, those that think that that's really the heart of their testimony, they've actually missed it. Because the heart of their testimony is that they, were, they hated God and had sinned against God, and yet God saved them. God's the hero of the story. And so when we exalt those that are former mafia bosses, then we've kind of messed up and screwed up the story. And I was like, and those that think that, well, I, I didn't do anything that bad are also misunderstanding and going, actually, all sin is bad, regard, whether you're a four-year-old child disobeying your parents or whether you're a 78-year-old man who's committed every crime imaginable. Like all of us are guilty before God, not because we're so bad on our own, but because we have, we have sinned against a holy and perfect God and every sin, Every sin is punishable by death. And so in our testimonies, the, the, the focus of our, our testimony is not simply, did I do something worse than somebody else? It's, did God in his great kindness give his son for me? And if he did, then that will fuel our worship. That is the kind of thing that means every testimony is a miracle, that no kid deserves to be saved. No kid even deserves to hear the gospel. And yet God, in his kindness, gave his son for us. No criminal deserves the gospel. No criminal deserves to hear the gospel. And yet they do. And God saves us all on the basis of his son and brings us into his family. And this invitation in Psalm 18, verses 
16 to 8, 19, is this invitation to remind ourselves of the miracle of the gospel to fuel our worship. And to say, not, so, so that every week when we rehearse the gospel on Sunday, every time that we hear it, whether it's in something that we read, something somebody shares with us, we should marvel and say, God gave his son for me when I was still a sinner. That is the fuel for our worship. This psalm is an invitation to you and I to practice that. To remind ourselves of the gospel day after day. Not, okay, I was a sinner, God sent Jesus. Like, can you believe the God of the universe who had no reason to love me did? Set his heart on me. Gave his son for me. Then gave me into a a family or into a country or into a church or into something so that I got the chance to hear that. Whether that was one time or whether that was hundreds of times before I got the chance to hear the gospel. All of those things are acts of God's grace. And when we begin to remind ourselves of the, the miracle nature of the gospel, then our hearts go from lukewarm or cold to hot and saying, of course I want to worship. Of course I want to love God with all my heart. Of course I want to worship while I'm working. My heart is directed towards God, not because of songs that are sung, not because of something that I've drummed up inside me, but because today is another day in which the God of the universe set his heart on me and loved me. This is an invitation to you and I to begin to practice the gospel, reminding ourselves of the gospel to fuel our worship. You see, ultimately, that's the point of Psalm. this part of Psalm 18, is remind ourselves of God's salvation to fuel our worship. Reminding ourselves of answered prayers, reminding ourselves of God's unseen hand, and reminding ourselves of the miracle nature of the gospel. And that is the thing that takes cold hearts that forget God and makes them white hot with love and worship. This passage ultimately calls all of us to give God what he deserves and not forget him when times are good. But the reality is we know that Israel does forget, right? Israel forgets God and turns away from God and then God sends them into exile. So does this passage simply call us to just do what Israel couldn't do? Does it just call us to do what David could not do? Does it just say, can you just be a better Christian than all of those who have come before you? Is, it a, is the call of the Christian life to just be better than Israel? Ultimately, what is the hope there for you and I to do what even David couldn't? You see, all of the Old Testament, including this passage, exposes Israel's need to be rescued, not just from enemies on the outside, but also from the sin and death that enslave them on the inside. They need to be rescued not just from Egypt or from the Philistines, but from their own hearts that will not worship God as he deserves. And you and I too need to be rescued from ourselves and the sin and death that reign in us. You see, this passage doesn't just say, do what Israel can't do. It instead exposes, why can't we do what we ought? Why can't we worship God as he deserves? And, but then this shows us also and points us to a rescue that makes that happen and that can fuel lasting worship. You see, Jesus, both God and man, came in person to rescue us and give us the record, identity, and power to worship God as he deserves. Jesus died in weakness and then was raised in power for your deliverance to bring you to God. We are not like Israel trying to drum up the energy, strength, and feeling to love God. We have the true true fuel for worship since our record is as righteous worshipers. 
Our future is secure and we have been raised to new life. That is the truth that makes us worshipers. Remind yourself of that. But I want to be clear about what makes a Christian. Some here, I think, cannot claim these promises of God. Some here are still worshiping in their own record and in their own strength. They're thinking that maybe because of my giving or my church attendance, maybe because I'm better than somebody else, that God somehow loves me. The story of the Bible that we've been talking about throughout this sermon is the story that God made the world and that means he's in charge of it. Here in our culture, we don't usually talk about kings as if they deserve something. But the reality is since God made the world, that makes him the king over it. He owns it or he makes it and so he owns it. We do understand that. And yet Adam and Eve and all humans after them have said, we do not want you to be in charge of us. We will not follow your rules. We will not live your way. We sinned against God in rebellion against God, saying we will not follow your rules. The Bible calls that sin and says that the wages of sin is death, physical death in this life. This is our story. Physical death in this life and eternal death in hell forever. But the story of the Bible and you and I's story is that instead of leaving us there as we deserve, as God's enemies, God came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and then was raised to new life. So that all who repent of sin, this is, this is how it becomes ours. So all who change their mind and turn away from sin and trust in Jesus alone to save them can instead, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus has done, can be welcomed into God's family and can have a future hope of being welcomed into heaven with God forever, into his family, with all the rights and privileges of an heir. That is the story of what makes a Christian who have repented of sin and taken Jesus alone to save them. Maybe today is the day in which you need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus for the very first time. You hear this and you say, I have done a lot of things and I have, maybe I've attended church a lot. I've tried doing a lot of good things. I've faked it like this was real, but maybe today is the day that you need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus only to save you. Stop trying to to do it on your own, to please God on your own, and instead accept the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If that's you, come and grab me while we sing, or you can grab me in the hallway, because I want to make sure that you know what it means to repent of sin and trust in Jesus so that then you can like worship God the way he deserves in the freedom that David invites us into. I want you to imagine with me what changes if this is true. I want you to imagine with me what, what happens if your worship is fueled not because songs are really good, the songs on the radio that you listen to, not because, well, it's been a while since I've done whatever that one sin is that you fall back into so regularly. Imagine what changes when your worship is fueled by this overwhelming sense of the unseen hand of God working for your good moment by moment. Imagine what happens when depression and despair comes in. Imagine what happens when anxiety comes in reminding you of here you are again in the same spot again. Imagine when the the truest reality in your heart is God's unseen hand working for your good, especially in the gospel. Imagine Imagine what it might be like when your worship is fueled by your salvation in that low moment. When you're tempted to despair, when you're tempted to turn away, when you're tempted to shrink back in guilt and in shame, that sounds like like a, a different way of approaching that situation. 
oh, I, here I am, carried by the unseen hand of God, even through the waves of anxiety. Imagine, here I am, carried through the waves of depression by the unseen hand of the God who loves me. That sounds like a, a different kind of going through that. Still scary, but, but a kind of worshiping when we're struggling. Imagine what happens when there's a home that's marked by the, this kind of overwhelming worship that comes from the heart, that God has been so kind to us every step of the way. Imagine what happens in our church when our church's worship is fueled by the reality that the God of the universe loved us and set His heart on us. And He is working for our good in the ups and downs in the hard and happy history that He's writing with our lives. Imagine what happens in Manchester and Scott County and Greene County when, when the people around us hear the good news, some of them for the very first time, of the, the, the overwhelming love of God for sinners that calls us to the worship He created us for. That sounds like a good news kind of community. When that reality is what calls people to worship. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear again the story of your salvation. That it would be good news for our souls. And that our, our hearts would become white hot with worship for you. Because of what you have done and are doing for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.